When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What have we learned from the Kaseya attack? I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Ryan Kovar, Distinguished Security Strategist at Splunk. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you, Tanya. So give us a quick summary of your professional experience and tell us what you do at Splunk. Sure. Um, I was started off my career at uh, the U.S. Navy. I barely graduated high school because I really just didn't enjoy it that much. So. Uh, very quickly learned from my mother that I had to do something with my life. So I joined the Navy and I was an IT system administrator on a large aircraft carrier. And that's literally where I started. I didn't know anything about IT or computers before that other than how to set up a video game. And after that, I was able to have a clearance, uh, did some excitement in Afghanistan and Iraq and all sorts of fun stuff like that, but walked into a defense contracting job where I was doing a similar job uh, as I was in the Navy, but for quite a bit more money, which eventually led me to working in the UK uh, where I worked with the British intelligence services and uh, federal, their federal policing services, doing security and IT sysadmin. And then eventually I worked for a private sector company where I really just got tired of fixing other people's broken stuff, uh, which is a lot of what you do as a sysadmin. And I said, you know, what's really interesting to me is dealing with the other side. Like when you have an adversary intentionally breaking things, that was a much more interesting world. So that's really, I mean, I've been doing security on and off before, but that's when I kind of made a career pivot and got went from a network Unix graybeard plumber into a you know security threat hunter. And I built up a SOC at that company. Um, and then I had moved back to the UK uh, where I was able to get a graduate degree. They have a very nice deal there where if you have 10 years of professional experience and you test out, uh, you can actually skip an undergraduate. So I was able to get a graduate degree when I lived in the UK and leverage that into a job at DARPA. So I joined one of my best friends and mentors in the Navy was actually running a nation state hunting team at DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, which is where I was there for about four years working with them. And when my wife finished her PhD, she said, hey, I need to move around a bit. And I said, well, let me get flexible. And I told a friend of mine at Splunk that I was leaving DARPA and he said, we will hire you in a heartbeat. So I came over to Splunk and my job since I've been here is to really uh, be that practitioner's voice at the company. Um, I'm the kind of the you know, our team, our affectionate nickname for our team is Blue Collar for the Blue Team. Uh, we really like to just get it done, uh, look for threats, create the ways that people can find that, write about it, talk about it, educate people on that, and help people all over the world. In fact, you say that cybersecurity vulnerabilities come from the most unexpected places. In fact, you say that the Kaseya attack is a recent example of this. Explain what happened in this attack. You know, it's, it's still developing. I think two days ago or so, we we're still getting some of the outcome for Kaseya, which I'll also say Kaseya and Kaseya. I am really, I've learned a valuable lesson about naming from companies if I ever create my own startup of what not to do. But what was interesting about that attack, which we didn't see, is I had never heard of the company before. And when I talked to my peers, a lot of us had never heard of what this company was. And I had to reach out to some other friends who are in MSP orgs, and they explained that Kaseya is a you know, they create a remote management tool that's heavily used by MSPs. And the reason this was a surprising attack vector, and it's very controversial 
among us neckbeards is that, is it a supply chain attack or not? And the reason I say that, reason I say it's surprising is if you are the recipient of this Casilla attack, it feels like a supply chain attack because you had no clue that this other company got breached. Your MSP who's providing you that service was a recipient of a malicious update, if you want to call it that, um, that was through an exposed port or vulnerability that Casilla knew about but hadn't patched yet. And if you were a customer of that MSP, you were vulnerable to this attack. And that's why it's just a little bit, I don't want to say shroud, that's why it's been a confusing progress of a couple of weeks or almost a month now, because the, the, the outcome of the attack and the ingress of the attack it took a while for people to understand. And if you were an end customer of Casilla, you may not even know that you were a customer of Casilla because you were actually a customer of the MSP who was the actual customer of Casilla. And as I've said this all, I think I've probably confused everyone, which goes back to, it's a little bit of a confusing uh, story. What made it unexpected? There are reports that some of the vulnerabilities were actually documented well in advance of the attack. In my opinion, it was unexpected, not to Casilla, but it was unexpected to the customers of those MSPs. If you were a customer of the MSP, you probably did not realize, A, that you were using this third-party software, and B, that it was vulnerable. And the MSPs were probably not aware that it was vulnerable. So the only people who knew it was vulnerable, technically, to my knowledge, were the security researchers who reported to a Casilla and to Casilla, who was working to resolve the patch. And I, I don't do any victim blaming on Casilla here. This could happen to any company. Uh, they were working, everything I've read implies that they were working towards solving the problem and resolving that security vulnerability, but somebody beat them to the punch to exploit it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. For a long time, one of the best ways to prevent ransomware attacks was to practice good cyber hygiene at a personal level. But would those practices have had any effect on the attack like uh, Casilla? That's one of the things I've spent a lot of time thinking about. And when we researched, there's a great report, I think by, um, I think it was Sophos, but I'd have to go back through my notes. But one of the recent reports that came out around ransomware said that adversaries, ransomware adversaries and affiliates are often on the network for 10 days before they actually execute a ransomware attack which means all the traditional methods, the cyber hygiene, the looking for lateral movement. Um, you know, If we look at the dark side attack for Colonial Pipeline a couple months ago or years ago or days ago, I, I literally can't remember because it's been such a crazy summer. Those had all the traditional TTPs for, you could have detected it. Would have been hard, but you could have found it. If you were a customer of Casilla via the MSP, you had no ability to detect it because it came in through a vector of trust. Um, so I don't really believe for the most part, you could have done anything as a customer of those MSPs to prevent Casilla. It was kind of like having a loaded gun at your head and never knowing there was a bullet in there. Talk about some of the likely avenues of ransomware compromise and the associated prevention and mitigation strategies. So the avenues of ransomware compromise haven't actually changed that much. Um, 
except for, of course, this recent Casilla and supply chain uh, sort of vector. But for the most part, from everything I've read from the, you know, the Verizon DBIR, a great report that was written by Red Canary, several others, Sophos is another one. The number one method for ransomware ingress is still via spear phishing. And I, I read, a, there was a great, another podcast um, by, um, that I listened to with Rick Howard the other day, where they talked about how ransomware, you know, they say it's malware or it's a breach, but it, it's kind of in between the two. It's a little bit different. In today's world, what happens is an adversary gets into a network not using ransomware, but by traditional methods. It could be using Metasploit, could be using PowerShell Empire, could be using a variety of different ways. They explore the network, they find the critical assets, and then they install something to actually execute. So the Lockheed Martin cyber kill chain is completely valid, right? This is, hasn't changed for 15 years or so, since 10 years since they published it. They still have to get in and now they're finding what's wrong or what's in the network, what's the value in exploiting or executing a package. That means that all the traditional methods for detection are still applicable. And like we said earlier, on average from what I'm reading is 10 days that these ransomware affiliates are actually in a network before they start encrypting networks. So that sort of avenue of insulation, that ingress is still basically what we deal with every day for every other avenue. Um, the mitigation is sadly also, you know, you talked about this earlier, but cyber hygiene. Uh, a lot of times what happens here is, do you have a segregated network? Can you prevent this lateral movement spread? Do you have good backups? Um, you know, we've seen a lot of news about do you pay or do you not pay? I'm personally of the opinion that you shouldn't pay and not because I'm taking the sort of FBI never pay terrorist approach, but you have no guarantee that it's gonna be as efficient or quick as any other method. So you could be out a lot of money and still have weeks if not months before you've decrypted even if successful. Um, so the, the mitigation afterwards is really, you know, it's, it's blocking and tackling is that typical cybersecurity, you know, or IT admin aspect of have backups, be able to restore, have business continuity plans, have a zero trust network in place, have a segregated network in place, uh, have your crown jewels really well defined, know what your assets are and defend them as well as you can. So on that note, how do you stay on top of ransomware evolutionary trends so that you can stay ahead of them? So I would argue that staying ahead of the evolutionary trends of ransomware is probably less important than doing the basics of cybersecurity. Um, almost every major attack that we've seen, and we've been researching them over the last year, the initial ingress is not unique. It is, if you can stop them, you know, the my world back in the Defense, Department of Defense, it was always left of boom, right? The boom being the installation of malware, in this case, the installation of ransomware. If you can work to prevent that installation, if you can find them on that initial ingress of the you know, that Metasploit package or that um, Cobalt Strike or whatever it be, you're gonna be in a lot better position than you are after ransomware. Uh, once the ransomware starts to be executed, you have seconds or minutes before it's actually already encrypted that system. And the way that ransomware operators work today is they're doing, you know, intelligence gathering before they actually execute that ransomware. So when they click that, you know, let's, let's deploy the ransomware, let's execute the ransomware, it's going to get your most important files. It's going to get the most critical assets. And the second part of this, which is what's really changed in the last two years versus you know, ransomware 2015 you know, and earlier, is that we're no longer just encrypting things. We're also, they're also stealing it, right? So they're taking those key assets and they're bringing it back to their house. And then this kind of goes back into the pay, pay to play. 
Um, it's not only get buying a de decryption key, but it's also about the public shaming, right? Like, okay, fine, you're not gonna pay. Well, if you don't pay, then we're gonna decrypt your files and start releasing them publicly. Um, you really wanna stop them before they even get to the point of sealing data or encrypting anything. So to me, it's less valuable in many ways to stay on top of the different variants of ransomware and the different ransomware affiliates than it is staying on top of how they're getting into the network, how they're maintaining persistence, and how they're moving laterally. And those, like, if you can work on those three things, you're going to be much more secure for a wide variety of threats, and ransomware just becomes one of them rather than the one you're focusing all your energy on. All right, Ryan, most importantly, why do you, what do you have against printers? Um, I have run $50 million <laughs> networks before in my life. I've administered large teams, and nothing has made me feel more insignificant than the inability to get a piece of paper printed. Um, I think they should just be all taken in a field and shot. And, you know, it's I think I saw that in the movie once, right? Yeah, it's, you know, we, we blame ransomware, but like when my, my own printer holds me ransom for cyan, like, really? Do I need cyan to print out a black and white document? No. Or maybe that was a fax machine. I'm not sure. Well, thanks for your honesty, Ryan. If somebody wants to connect with you, uh, maybe they want to find out more about your work um, and check on your expertise in this area. What's the best way they can do that? Sure. Uh, I can be found multiple places. I do a lot of tweeting on uh, Twitter, not surprisingly, under MeanSec, uh, which is not that I'm a mean person, but I'm really just average at what I do in my life, uh, where you'll find a wide variety of things like Bernie's Mountain Dogs, barbecue, food, and then occasionally even cybersecurity. Uh, I'm also on Splunk.com blogging quite a bit. And so you can find me there or even LinkedIn if that's your uh, method of choice. Thanks again, Ryan. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Tanya. Appreciate it. And you can find and subscribe to more of my interviews right here or on tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.